I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. This is She Said, She Said. passion in college when she had trouble finding an organization for women that was committed to intellectual debate but wasn't afraid to include a woman with a conservative viewpoint. Not finding what she was looking for, she created the Network of Enlightened Women, or NEW, in 2004. NEW now has chapters on college campuses and in cities and communities around the country. Not dissimilar to this podcast, New grew out of a frustration that there was less tolerance for diversity of thought and opinion than there needs to be. And that was and is especially true as it relates to women, our politics, our roles in society, and our approach to leadership. I am especially delighted to welcome my friend Karen Lips to the podcast today. Karen, Welcome. Thanks for coming. Oh, well, thank you, Laura. I've been listening to the podcast, so I am delighted to, to be here with you. Well, I'm so happy to have you. Let's start with the Network of Enlightened Women. What is NEW? So NEW is a group that I started back in 2004 when I was a student at the University of Virginia. And as you mentioned, it grew out of a frustration that there wasn't intellectual diversity when it came to talking about women and policy. Um, I had interned up in D.C. for Senator Richard Lugar, my home state senator from Indiana. And while I was in D.C., I loved being around smart, ambitious women who wanted to talk about policy and ideas, but didn't want to throw out just the one-liners that you see the pundits you know, throw out on TV. They were really interested in talking about how policy impacted their life. When I returned to the University of Virginia for my third year, I sought out an environment like that. Unfortunately, the women's groups weren't really open to more conservative women. And I even went to, on my, on my way home from class one day, I walked by a building with a sign that said, the Women's Center. And at the time I thought, oh, that's it. It's called the Women's Center. We're at a state-funded university. This should be open to all women. How wrong I was, Laura. <laughs> I went in, um, I scheduled a meeting with a faculty member there, and she was trying to get me involved in all their programs, but I could tell they had a more liberal feminist bent. At the end, I thought, well, this is my chance. So I asked, would they be interested in co-sponsoring a new group for conservative women? There were already groups for liberal women on campus. Uh, and unfortunately, when after I asked her that question, she responded by laughing and saying, not here. And so that was really my moment of, of thinking through, you know, do I think something like this has been tried and failed and failed and failed, so there's no real need for this? Or for some reason, has this not been tried? And so this is a problem that we could solve. Uh, so I started new at the University of Virginia, and within six months, some students got a chapter started at William & Mary, and it just spread one chapter at a time um, because the women's groups across the country on campuses aren't really open to, to intellectual diversity. 
Did you, so you started new while you were in college or after you were finished with college? While I was in college and then I stayed at UVA for law school. So the first five years I was in school and basically running it out of my dorm room. Mm -hmm. This may seem an obvious question, but I think it's really important to drill down on this notion of why diversity of thought and opinion are important, especially as it relates to women. Why does it matter? Well, on campus, you're supposed to be learning how to think about issues. And if we talk about women's empowerment and what that looks like, that shouldn't be women's empowerment in terms of that means that everybody believes the same thing and, you know, touts the party line. That means that we respect that women are thinking human beings. And if you respect that people are thinking about things, then you have to respect that they're going to think some things differently. Um, And what I really noticed when it came to the women's organizations that I looked up and the women's empowerment movement in general is it was all about empowering a certain type of woman, a, a woman who thought a certain way. And if you didn't think that way, then you might as well just turn in your woman card because you don't count. And that was incredibly frustrating. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion about closing the gender gap as it relates to women in elected office. So play that forward as it relates to growing future leaders who will one day grow up and run for office. Well, I think it's a problem if we, as a society, define women's empowerment only as liberal women's empowerment or, you know, like radical feminist women's empowerment. Then you're shutting out a whole bunch of women from the conversation who have something valuable to add. And that's why that's part of the reason that I started new is these are smart women who have something to say. They just needed a vehicle to say it. And they needed that community. And once we created that, we found there was more demand for it at other schools. Mm-hmm. The most common thing that we would hear from our students in the beginning was, I feel so alone on my campus. And so that's when we started our national conference where we bring in you know, more than 100 conservative women leaders from around the country to DC, because they all feel alone and they want to be part of that community. And I would say that it's even, it's not just good for conservative women to have an organization like NEW, it's good for liberal women because then they have a chance to sharpen their arguments and learn how to argue about things more effectively. I mean, when I was, when I was on grounds at the University of Virginia, I went to liberal events and I remember asking questions and losing the argument and then going back home and thinking, okay, how do I do better next time, right? You sharpen. Yeah. You sharpen your skills. And I think it's a disservice to liberal students that when conservatives are shut out of the conversation, they never have to do that. And I think it's no wonder that now it seems like conservatives and liberals have have some challenges talking with each other. Well, starting on campuses, we're not learning how to talk and engage civilly. Yeah. So I'm really proud. Two years ago at our national conference, we held our first debate. Um, and I think that was awesome because it showcased smart women talking about ideas in a civil way. And that shouldn't be rocket science, but it sort of is today, right? Like people don't have those conversations. So I, I'm glad we did that. And we're going to continue doing that to try to really encourage women engaging with smart ideas. So at our first debate, we had Mona Sharon and Mercy Schlapp talking about what young women should want from the federal government. And so it was interesting to see um, to hear them evaluate what had happened so far in this administration, what had worked, what had not, and just had those have some tough conversations. And it was feisty and wonderful. And that's what we wanted, and our, and our students really enjoyed it. 
social media plays a big role as it relates to de- political debate and I think largely to some of the divisions in the country and how we interact with each other, how we think about engaging uh, with each other and expressing a point of view. What are your thoughts on, well, both how you think about your work at New and how the young women who are part of the organization engage on social media, and what advice do you have for encouraging more civil debates? Our target audience is young women, so of course we've got to be very active on on social media, and we've now we are now spending more resources on Instagram because that's where we find you know our audience is. Um, and so from our perspective, we're trying to figure out where is our target audience where we want to recruit more women into the conservative movement and into new, um, and how can we do that effectively? Uh, so two years ago, we started a hashtag campaign, um, hashtag she's conservative and ask our followers to tweet out or post pictures of them and a shirt that we created um, that says, this is what a conservative looks like. And you brought me one. I did bring Yay. you one, yes. <laughs> it's a nice hot pink shirt, so people people will respond. Um, and so gave that to our students, encouraged them to post, post pictures in it. And it was interesting to see the reaction. Um, many of our students had people say to them, oh, I didn't realize you're conservative, I am too. And so just being that first voice is important. So we try through our social media to showcase the unique women who make up new um, as a recruiting tool to recruit more women into the conservative movement. It is no secret that conservative women often feel left out of mainstream media, of articles that talk about women and women's leadership. It is, as I've mentioned in the intro, one of the reasons why I created this podcast was not to be a conservative vehicle, but instead to be a much more balanced one so that you have the unique voices of women and the way that we think and all the diverse ways in which we have an impact. You and New are making some great inroads in getting conservative women featured in mainstream media. And as you said earlier, you welcome the opportunity to sit down with people who think differently than you. That can be difficult. If you know you're walking into a room or into an organization where you are the minority point of view, what's your advice for other folks in going ahead and jumping into a situation where you know you're gonna be the minority point of view? Well, I had this experience in November. I went to Glamour's Women of the Year Summit in New York City. And while there's nothing in the you know labeling that says it's for liberal women, I just assumed based on Glamour's audience and seeing their magazine, it would be more more targeted towards liberal women. And I went because in 2017, Glamour sent a reporter to our new national conference. And she wrote a great article in which in the beginning she says she was one of the women who was crying after Hillary Clinton lost. And so she was a little nervous about coming to our conference. But she came with an open mind. And she says, for example, she expected to see a lot of pearls and instead she saw more hipster glasses. And she tried to talk to our women. And having that conversation, by the end of the article, you know, she says she was excited to talk with them and it It was different than what she thought in a positive way, that if the future of the movement is these type of women, she's excited about that. And so I went to the Glamour Conference sort of thinking, again, this would be more liberal women, but I wanted to go in with an open mind and have conversations and see who was really there. 
And my takeaway was somewhat similar and that the women who attended were much more thoughtful than I anticipated. I thought they might, I thought the audience might be full of more radical, kind of militant feminists with a very um, strong political agenda, which it seemed more to be full of thoughtful women who maybe leaned liberal but wanted to understand the other side and were asking why a lot. So the conference began. Um, with a feminist t-shirt making effort, <laughs> which if you've never done silk screening is actually kind of fun. But it sort of began with that showing me that like the liberal feminism really was the narrative throughout the conference in a way that it didn't need to be, right? So like we could have done some other activity besides kind of feminist t-shirt making. But it started with that, with that. Day two started with the MC talking about the Democratic women candidates and hoping that they would win and the crowd cheered. But when I had individual conversations with women and mentioned that I worked for a conservative women's group, they didn't just shut down the conversation. They didn't attack me. You know, they didn't shun me. It was, oh, well, tell me about this. Like, why do you think that? Those kind of conversations, which was really powerful. Mm -hmm. And so afterwards, my big takeaway was, you know, we're seeing the women's magazines are really struggling right now. Like, Seventeen has cut down on print. Glamour is now not going to be on monthly grocery store shelves. Uh, Teen Vogue is no longer in print. And they're trying these digital brands. Some have tried to go more liberal, right? Some have tried to sex things up. Cosmopolitan um, sent college students a party bus of shirtless male models to try to get them to vote. But the hole that really needs to be filled, in my opinion, is appealing to women's intellect, right? Like women who like fashion also care about politics and policy. And so I think Glamour has a moment right now as they're kind of rethinking their branding strategy they should think about how do you appeal to all women and pre present both sides of issues and then let your audience choose. Karen, you recently published a book that is named, has the same name as the t-shirt, She's Conservative, and it features a number of uh, inspiring young women who talk about their experiences on college campuses. College campuses are an interesting place these days where rather than being having a robust dialogue around political viewpoints and diversity of thought and opinion, we're not seeing that as much as what you or I would like to see. So talk about the book and what was particularly surprising in your takeaways from these young women's stories? Well, one of the best parts of my work is getting to work with the incredible women across the country. And so with this book, we're excited to share 22 essays from women across the country from 17 different universities sharing their story about what it's like to be a conservative woman on campus and the challenges that they overcome. We hope this book conveys a positive message to young women that they can speak out as conservatives and that we'll end up recruiting more women into the conservative movement through it. One of the most interesting things from my perspective in working on this book was how many of the women said that when they went to campus, they decided, even before they stepped on campus, they decided they were going to keep their politics quiet, that they were strong conservatives, but they worried what would happen if people knew they were conservatives? And so I dug in a little bit more on that with them as we were working on the book project. And we've seen studies that faculty um, lean liberal. A study came out last year saying that administrators lean liberal. It's something like 12 to 1 ratio there. 
But when I really dug in on this, it seemed what the students cared about even more maybe than grades was the peer pressure. That these young women go to college thinking they're going to find their best friends, they're going to fill their Instagram feeds, and then be their bridesmaids, you know, in a few years. And that they really worried that if they came out as conservatives, they weren't going to make friends. So it's almost like a silent peer pressure there. And I found that fascinating because that is so hard to combat, right? Mm -hmm. How do you address the peer pressure? And so then we've doubled down on really focusing on creating the community for these women, that they want a community of friends where they can talk about these ideas. And that's really how we're going to kind of move the needle on campus. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting. You know, three of the stories, and one of the students is from University of Florida, one from Harvard, one from George Washington. So all over, and all their stories began with, you know, they were nervous going, on, going to campus because of the peer pressure. Yeah. I think one of the most disturbing things to mm-hmm. me about the book is the fact that in some instances where they did disclose that they were conservative, that their, you know, quote unquote friends shut them down, shut them out. And that, you know, that's not been my personal experience <laughs> either in Washington or in college. I think I'm particularly concerned about what does this say? as it relates to the way in which we are encouraging young people to express a point of view and to engage in a dialogue and not be threatened by somebody who thinks differently than you do. Maybe not on everything. You know, the reality is you're never going to know until you actually sit down and talk to this person who tells you, yes, I'm a conservative. I do have different points of view. What are you seeing in that regard? Can you sort of disavow me of my concern? (laughs) Laura, I'm so glad you asked that because it's such a problem. If you think about campuses today, if a radical feminist speaks out, she is praised and celebrated and given a platform and is, is a hero on campus. And what's interesting is these conservative women, when they speak out, it took incredible courage to do so. And then the reaction of their peers isn't, that's awesome, thank you for speaking out as a minority voice on campus. It is, you know, one one student talks about um, how someone attributed it to her being from the back hills of West Virginia. And then you read her story and she says that she's a conservative because she read the Federalist Papers. I think it's a real problem that conservative women don't have that intellectual support system on campus. And... I don't see a path forward from the administrations or from the faculty on campus. It's got to be a culture shift on campus. One of the other uh, takeaways and things that I thought was so interesting is the fact that a number of these young women talk about confidence Mm -hmm. in this context. It's a topic we talk a lot about on this podcast. What do you do to get it? What do you do to keep it? What do you do to keep it strong? Um, They all not all of them, but many of the young women who wrote, who submitted essays or whose, many of the young women whose essays were included in the book talked about the fact that doing so, disclosing that they were conservative, being willing to embrace that, helped them build their confidence. So then they were ready to take other big risky mm-hmm. steps. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that first time they speak out, I think is very scary. And then is incredibly empowering because once they do it once, they realize, okay, the whole world isn't going to shatter in front of them. And there's always other people that seem to then encourage it and say, oh, thank you. I I don't feel comfortable speaking out, but hearing you do so makes me want to do it. Uh, So I think taking that first step is important. And then uh, 
what we do with our chapters is we encourage them to focus on educating their members, recruit more people to their chapters, have those intellectual discussions, and then when they're ready, hold larger campus events where you get to bring these ideas that you've been talking about among like-minded peers to the larger community. And we find they all want to do that after they've after they've had those internal discussions. They're eager to share with their fellow peers, but they first have to get really comfortable talking about it among like-minded friends. You know, some of the, there were, I don't know, a couple of different ones of the essays were written by young women who are at Ivy League universities. And their stories, I think for some people may be particularly surprising. You would hope that there would be more of a, a thirst for intellectual rigor, uh, the opportunity to really debate and discuss ideals, and that is not what these young women found. No, and going back to the student um, from West Virginia, she's from West Virginia, goes to Harvard now, and she was one who had kept her her views quiet and then finally told her roommate, and her roommate just attributed it to her being from the back hills of West Virginia. And she's incredibly smart. She's at Harvard. She wants to engage on these ideas. And it's, it's a real problem that that's not encouraged there. And if you think these Ivy Leagues are creating some of our future leaders, what lessons are they learning there that are going to then translate into politics? Karen, do you consider yourself a feminist? That's another great question. <laughs> I would say a few years ago, I would have disavowed the label, um, saying that it had been co-opted by the left and that it, it's not something that I'll, I want to self-identify with. But in the last year or so, I now think that there is a moment that we are having that women want to be part of a women's empowerment brand. The women's empowerment brand has been taken over by the left, and it's not working, right? In the last presidential election, Hillary Clinton and her view of feminism didn't resonate with young women. You saw Bernie Sanders win a lot of young women, and there's a moment right now for a conservative view of feminism. So I've been promoting a version of feminism called opportunity feminism, where we try to maximize freedom for women to build the lives they want to build. And for some women, that might be staying home and having five children. For others, that might be focused solely on careers. And for many women, that will be something in between, some combination of that. But really thinking about what the policy implications are of things that we're advocating for and how that actually impacts the lives of young women. And we should be thinking about maximizing freedom so they can build the happy lives they want to build. And be the leaders that they want to be, however they define that. Yes. Let's talk about how the new chapters actually work. What do they do when they get together? How do you join? Sort of what does that look like? So if a young woman wants to start a chapter, she can go to our website, enlightenedwomen.org, and we've got a prospective new chapter form they can fill out. And one of my colleagues will reach out to them, have a phone call with them. And some of the things that we ask, for example, are that they have some other leaders there, so it's not just one person doing it. Often it's, it's better if they've got underclassmen there so the chapter can continue. And then they form as women's leadership organizations on campus. And they can do a number of different things. They can uh, have book club discussions. They can read articles. They do professional development trainings and also bring in speakers and host debates. So we try to give them the resources they need to, to empower them to do what they want to do on campus. And then nationally, they can uh, be a part of our national suite of programs. So that involves our national conference in the summer. Um, our She's Conservative campaign in the fall. And then in the spring, we do an event called the Gentleman Showcase, 
recognizing that for women to succeed, we don't need to put down men. Instead, we shouldn't think about how we can all succeed together. And so the Gentleman Showcase, women nominate men for being gentlemanly on college campuses. We also have an under 30 category. So they nominate them, and then the winners get to donate a thousand. We make a donation uh, to a charity of the choice of the winners. Mm -hmm. So it's a positive way to encourage mutual respect between men and women. Karen, January also happens to be National Mentor Month. What's your advice on seeking and working with mentors? My guess is there are probably lots of opportunities as part of new to do that. So what's your advice, both for the mentor and for the mentee? I'd say find mentors now and be a mentor as well. There's always someone that you can be mentoring and you should pay, pay it forward. Uh, so in our chapters, we encourage the upperclassmen to mentor the underclassmen. Even across chapters, the newer chapters get mentored by the more established chapters. Um, and then one bigger picture idea on this is mentors aren't some abstract concept and they don't have to be someone who's super famous. Look around, see who is in your world, see who you know, who's doing something that you want to do eventually, and just ask them to coffee, ask to meet with them, and start small, and you will be amazed at how that relationship blossoms over the years. Do you have mentors? Of course, yes. Many mentors um, who I am often asking questions to, and I try to mentor lots of, lots of young people as well. So I'm a big believer that you should both be mentoring and be a mentee at the same time. Karen, the organization is an organization for women. Why is that important? Well, I think on campuses, you know, you've got lots of different affinity groups and the challenges that young women face on campuses are unique. And so it does it does make a difference to have a group for women creating that community. And especially on campuses where you have women's centers, women's studies departments, women's groups, all pushing a certain agenda, I would say a liberal agenda for women, we need to have a women's group on the right for those women who, who who are more interested in more conservative ideas. Let's step back for a second and talk a bit about the confidence that it takes to acknowledge when you know you're in a group that is not like-minded, to acknowledge that you are a conservative woman, why that can be so scary. It's so scary because of the reaction that you often get. It Unfortunately, it seems like there's a special vitriol reserved for conservative women. That when conservative women speak out, that in some ways they're so challenging the liberal narrative that has been spun by, by different women's groups that those groups don't even want to engage with these women. Instead, they just want to shut them down. And that's why groups like New and groups that support conservative women are so important because we have to give those women an intellectual home because they're not finding it when they engage with liberal women. I have unfortunately had that experience personally as well, but as it relates to social media in particular, mm -hmm. I frankly have been astonished by the level of hate and vicious things that people will say when you, are, when you acknowledge that you're a conservative woman. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, the viciousness that's there, the vitriol that's there. Um, I can see why a lot of women keep their conservatism quiet. And that's why we've got to have communities there encouraging them to speak out. 
And I wish there was some more accountability. I think a lot of people use social media and think they can say whatever they want to say with no accountability. And unfortunately, it brings out the worst in them. Are there other things, other advice that you have on ways in which you uh, sort of teach your the the members of your new chapters to engage. Like how how do you how do you educate them so that they don't become part of the problem? We encourage a positive brand of conservatism, one that is serving as an entry point for more young people, particularly women, into the conservative movement. So in our marketing, we encourage a very positive brand of conservatism and encourage our students to do so as well. Let's shift and talk a little bit more about you. What are some of the big challenges that you've faced in running a nonprofit? As you think about our listenership, there are there's a very diverse group of women who and men, hopefully, that listen to this podcast, and they may be contemplating taking on something like this. What's been, what's been the biggest surprise to you? The biggest surprise has been how many different skills you use in, in starting a nonprofit. So... You've got to do the paperwork, right? That's a skill set some people have. Another one is the marketing, the branding, the recruiting. Um, you've got to bring in the funding to support the programs. So I'd say this surprise has been how many different skills it takes to get something started and then to maintain it. And then as it grows, you've got to constantly be thinking about how do you use those resources effectively? So you've got to get a certain amount done. How do you then use those? use your resources effectively? What's the most rewarding part for you? By far the most rewarding part is getting to come up with ideas and then implement them. Right? So like the book started as an idea and then to be able to look at it physically and see that this, you know, started as a as just a just an idea and to see the physical copy of the book that is incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Um, and also the students seeing the difference that we make for them. So this idea, again, almost 15 years ago of starting this organization, now we've got students who I don't even know who um, I will hear are involved you know, in a chapter at a school, and then I'll get a phone call of somebody who's interested in hiring them, and they want to call me for a reference check because they've got new on their resume. And I think like that's important enough that they want to put new on their resume. That's cool. You've had a couple of major life changes in that 15 years, <laughs> two in particular. One was getting married, the other was becoming a mom. How yeah. has becoming how has becoming a mother changed your leadership, if at all? Yeah. Well, one practical thing is you definitely learn how to go back to sleep much more quickly. Like you wake <laughs> up a lot more, but you, you learn how to go back you're to sleep. you exhausted. Yes. <laughs> That has been that was a um, a good surprise is that you can get back to sleep so quickly, um, and then I'd say the way I evaluate the use of my time changes. Right, so I think early in your career, um, you're encouraged to say yes to everything, and I've said yes to you know lots of things, um, which has been helpful in in my career development. And now the the math changes a little bit in terms of how much am I willing to travel and how, how I want to spend that time. So even going back to the book, when we were thinking about doing this, I thought that was an incredibly important project. I was excited to showcase these women. And so spending time on that was something I, I wanted to do. It infuses all the decisions, and in a very good way. When you think back to the point in which you first started new, yeah. and, and th think about this question in the context of a listener who may have some big idea 
but she's just not sure whether to pull the trigger, right? Is it really a good idea or not? How do you know? How did you know that this was going to be a great idea? Well, I didn't, quite frankly. At first, I really had this thought process of this doesn't seem that brilliant. Like, I assume other people have tried this and it's failed and failed and failed, or else there would be something like this for conservative women. But I'm not sure I want to try. Like, I truly see a need here. I see a problem here. I want to solve it. So I would encourage your listeners to think about what problem are they going to solve and how are they going to be the best at solving it? Because that's what really matters. Whether you create a nonprofit or a business, you've got to be filling some market need. And so for this, there wasn't any chapter-based organization for conservative women out there. And now we can say 15 years later, there was a demand for it and there just hadn't been a successful model. How about dealing with doubters? People that say, oh, why are you doing this? This is a crazy idea. You know, filling in the gaps for all the self-doubt that you may have. How do you deal with people like that? You've got to become very comfortable with failure and learning from failure and then staying on your path. So we've got a vision and we've got goals and a game plan and trusting yourself and your team that you've really thought about this You've got a good game planned and then executing on it. To that end, since it's January and if you're anything like me, you are uh, dusting off your personal evaluations and you're setting goals for the next year. Do you have any great suggestions or tips, things that you do from a goal setting standpoint, uh, you know, some kind of process that works well for you? I'm a big fan of uh, writing out some goals for the year and then creating times when it creating times for self-evaluation on it i think we're all trained from what kindergarten that you get report cards on what probably sharing in kindergarten and then (laughs) turns into math and then chemistry and you know we're all trained to respond to report cards and evaluation and then it's interesting after you're done with school that just disappears And I think bringing that back into your life is important, but you broaden it, right? Like it's no longer about do you know your, you know, timetables, but instead it's about are you doing the things in your life that you want to be doing? Are you healthy? Are you visiting your grandparents as as much as you want to? You know, are you making time for your family and friends? You know, I think having that, creating your own report card is important. So, Karen, as you know, we ask every guest who comes on the podcast for a single piece of advice or life hack or mantra. It can be something that you would tell your younger self. It can be something that you tell other young women. What is yours? Learn from and become very comfortable with failure. Because if you're not failing, you're not reaching high enough. Anything from inviting big name speakers to our events, you know, we reach high there coming up with different ideas and program ideas. Like you've got to throw ideas out there and some are going to fail, and, and but learn from them. Karen, such a pleasure. Thank you yeah. so much for being with us this morning. Yeah, thank you, Laura. Really appreciate it. To learn more about Karen, you can visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There we will include show notes, including links to the Network of Enlightened Women, as well as to the She's Conservative book. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We also send out a periodic newsletter, so be sure to sign up for that on our website under the subscribe button. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.